The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin. Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I just want to forget about that debate. I mean, seriously, a marathon debate. Wow. We're going to talk about it, but we're going to dive into the policy. We're going to talk about it in a smart way, I promise. Plus, fiscal stimulus talks and what happened, what happened in the markets today. Lots to get through. I just got off the plane uh, from Cleveland. We, we booked it after balance of power. Back here to Washington, D.C. Got to say, beautiful day in Washington. Freezing cold out there in Cleveland. We're going to talk about everything, all right? There's a lot to get through, but we're not going to do the the gripes and the... I can't handle... It's too much. No one cares. We're not doing the Soapbox Act routine on this program. It's not It's not going to happen. Um, we are going to play some of my interviews that I did yesterday. I did like four interviews um, with the various lawmakers on... Both sides who were with the candidates. And we're going to check in with Senator Marsha Blackburn as well as Congressman Jim Jordan. They're two conservatives. Um, and they're really at the heart of all the fiscal stimulus talk. So we'll play some of that. Uh, but I want to begin uh, with uh, someone who I didn't get to run into when I was out there in Ohio. But he's the Democratic Party chairman, David Pepper. David, I got to say, I love Cleveland. Fourth Street was amazing. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm glad you did. It's a, yeah, it's a great town. We got a lot going on. Okay, so I talked to Tim Ryan yesterday, and he was telling me about how he thinks Ohio is within play. Joe Biden, after the debate last night, this morning was speaking in Cleveland, and then he's going to go on a on a tour through uh, throughout Ohio and Pennsylvania. I know it was a disaster, the debate, but I want to spin it forward. How does yesterday, last night, how does it impact the, the dynamics of the race? You know, I, I would say that in a state like Ohio, where it looks to be about tied, maybe Biden has a small lead, there, there are some undecided voters. And I think that last night did absolutely nothing to move those undecided voters towards um, Trump and maybe help nudge them towards Biden. I think that those undecided voters, if after three and a half years, are not sold on Trump yet. I think they're mostly upside for Joe Biden. And I think last night Donald Trump completely failed to win anyone but, you know, the Proud Boys and his base over. So uh, I think it sets up a dynamic where, where, you know, potentially Trump starts running out of room to grow. Biden has more room to grow. And if, if Trump can't get off this far right, kind of insane stuff i think he's not going to gain anything and he really needs to gain votes right now david pepper's on the line and he is the ohio democratic party chairman david i was when i was when i was reporting last night i, I was you know you're sitting there and you're 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 watching the style and the substance to me president trump played to his base to me joe biden he took a gamble it was a political gamble in the sense that he said i'm the party not Bernie Sanders. And that was a direct pitch to moderates, people in the, in, in the Hawkeye State and other uh, Macomb County, other, other places all around the country, the battleground states. Does he risk alienating and losing the far left? You know, I think he did that as a parry when Trump tries to make him sound extreme. I mean, I think he's got to obviously keep the broad coalition. He did such a good job putting together towards the end of the primary, keep it together. I mean, I, I think it was more about him saying, "Listen, I, I'm I'm in charge. Don't don't try and label me with something else." I think he basically saying, "I'm I own my own plans," and stop trying to like make them into something they're not. 
Um, but but I think on the flip side, yeah, he needs to he needs, certainly wants to keep the broad tent that he's built and 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 worked hard to build together. Um, so you know, I do think it's a balance. But but um, I thought he handled it pretty well last night. Obviously, Donald Trump almost became kind of a commentator mode halfway through about how this was going to cost him certain parts of his uh, his electorate. But I think it's fine. I think you know Bernie Sanders and others on the progressive end of things, Elizabeth Warren, continue to be very supportive of Joe Biden. And, and they also will say when there are disagreements. It's not like it's a secret when, when the, the two sides in the party don't agree. They're all open about it. But I think people remain very united against Donald Trump. All right. Let's, 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 let me ask you a question before I, I want to dive into the Hawkeye State. Did you even like watching last night? I mean, seriously. If, Did if I? You if you didn't have your job, would you have even watched it? Would no, you, would you it, turn it, it off? I think, I think because it was the first one, most people kept it on. But if it, if the second or third one do anything like that, I think a whole lot of people are turning off their television. It, it just, was just terrible it's so television. It, it was, and I'm it, not even being yeah. dramatic. I mean, it was. I mean, seriously, and I don't even want to be dramatic. I don't want to be fu- three people. Talking at once, three people, yeah, and it's not even. You know what it made me think? They don't even do that on a reunion of a reality show. I mean, it's insanity. Go ahead, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I didn't mean to talk over you. you. That's yeah, exactly. You know what's what's um, that's every day at the White House. I mean, Dr. Fauci, my guess is, is watching that, saying, "Well, see, that's my life." And so, when you start to figure out why do we not have a better response to COVID. Why did we almost get ourselves into World War III uh, with that Iran move a couple months ago? It's because Donald Trump does exactly what we saw yesterday when he's meeting with people who can't even talk back to him in the White House. I mean, that, the guy yesterday clearly is not someone who we want leading anything because he doesn't listen. He talks over sarcastically. He, he's in the end a complete jerk. He has no empathy. He lies and doesn't even – I don't know if he realizes it or not. But think about that guy managing a, a broad group of people who, who, in some cases, are trying to lead the country. You know, no wonder Mattis and all these others have quit. No, and that's I, what and I hear you with every single day. Let it's me jump awful. in here because you know I hear yeah. you, and 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 I, I get, and you know I don't take I, I I call like I see. I thought last night's debate was a disaster for all three of them personally, yeah. uh, and it was just it was dizzying. You fun fact about our, our first guest to, on this, I guess. The, the day after, I don't even know what to call today. Debate, debate morning, morning with an OU right. in America. Um, David Pepper, he he runs the Democratic Party in, in the Hawkeye State in Ohio. Actually, There's this great Buckeye Buckeye State. The, why am I saying Hawkeye, Hawkeye Iowa? Buckeye. I'm so sorry. They're I'm swing, still backing they're, up. They're tied too. It's okay. We're both swing states. <laughs> I know. I, it's because I'm from Pennsylvania and I went to Penn State. Did you go to Ohio there State? There you go. No, I didn't. Okay. All right. There's this great article in uh, Politico magazine. The headline is The Thriller That Predicted the Russia Scandal. You wrote a political thriller, which I love. I want to write a book one day. And you uh, you wrote a you wrote a political thriller and it's about a Russian spy. And it turns out it predicted the whole the whole entire (laughs) Russia saga. What did you know that nobody else knew? And tell us about your book. Plug your book. So it's funny you bring it. So I actually worked in Russia years ago, and I, I did start writing a book about in about 2012, and it was all about uh, rigging American elections by hacking voting machines. But it, the plot was actually about congressional districts um, throughout the country. Uh, so I didn't mean to predict anything. I thought I was writing this great story. I put it to bed in like early 16, and then by the next year, all the people who read my book were like, my God, David, what did you know and when did you know it? <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, it, it, it's been kind of a wild ride. The, the truth is, you know, in, in my book, I had I was and I think this is why sometimes novelists do predict things. I my bad guy was a Russian oligarch. He wanted to, you know, take advantage of, uh, of Congress and get fracking opened up throughout the, the, the Midwest. And. Because I was thinking through, okay, as a Russian oligarch, what could he do to impact an election? 
in a way, I think I was accidentally placing myself in the, in the same position Vladimir Putin was in. And so yeah. I was trying to realistically think through how would you do such a thing? And it turns out I, what I wrote had a lot in common with what ultimately happened. David Pepper is uh, our first guest. He's chairman of the Ohio Democratic Party. The People's House is the name of the book. The People's House. Jack Sharp novel. Um, it's, uh, it's a political thriller that predicted the Russia saga. Hey, David, let's check in closer to Election Day. Tell me what's going on in the Buckeye State. In the Buckeye State, not the Hawkeye State. I'm sleep-deprived. Uh, the Buckeye State. David Pepper, chairman of the Democratic Party. Coming up, we're going to check in with what's going on in the markets, and then we'll talk more about whatever whatever you want. I don't think you can call it a debate. I'm not even trying to be you know, funny here, I, or glib, or smug, or whatever you want. I don't think you can call last night a debate. Uh, it was three people talking over one another. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Yeah, we're going to slowly get through last night. There's a lot to uncover. Adam Goodman, he's one of the best in the biz. Adam Goodman's going to join us uh, all next hour. I said, Adam, I got to talk to you. I called him this morning. I said, Adam, I got to talk to you. Please come on the show. He's a Republican media strategist, and you know he used to advise Katie Couric. Um, I said, please come on the show. I don't know. I don't even know how do you even un- un- unravel last night. So he's going he's gonna to walk all of us off the ledge because he's, he's been around a long time. Uh, I don't even know. Can you be excited for the second debate? I mean, at this point, the debate commission's now saying that they're going to, they, they're considering, reportedly considering having a button for the moderator, Steve Scully, C-SPAN Steve Scully, Penn State's Steve Scully, um, where they can like turn off the microphone. How does that, so how's that going to work? I don't know. I don't know. We're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. Uh, what happened in the markets today? Let's, let's, let's go there. Let's, I never thought I would say that. Let's talk about, let's talk about the markets. Uh, U.S. stocks finished higher after a volatile session that saw traders whipsawed by reports on the outlook for a new round of government stimulus. Okay, stimulus talks heating up. The S&P 500 index climbed 0.8%, parring gains of as much as 1.7% after Secretary Mnuchin said that there had been no agreement on pandemic relief, though talks would continue. They've got that uh, 2.2, 2.4 trillion House Democratic deal. Joining us on the line to answer and navigate through Wall Street, Sarah Poncheck. She is Bloomberg Mark Poncheck. Sorry, Sarah. Sarah Poncheck's on the line. She's Bloomberg Markets reporter. Sarah, what happened in the markets today? That's okay, Kevin. At least if last night's debate was confusing, at least markets you can put a number on. <laughs> so that's why you're excited to talk about it today. I know. You, Something other. I, I'm like so sick of talking about that debate. I'm not. I know I shouldn't say that on air. I apologize. But I mean, it was just brutal. I mean, it was. Yeah. Go ahead. It was. And at least, I mean, I would say that when you have numbers, you have some structure. But still, the stock market has been all over the place. And it really began last night during the debate. I mean, in the middle of the debate, you looked at stock futures, for example, up seven-tenths of a percent. Then as soon as it ended, we just saw that rally completely fade. And at one point overnight, futures were down more than one percent. In plenty of emails from investors this morning, really the only unifying theme surrounding what happened in the debates and what that would mean for the markets was that it really just highlighted the fact that maybe it's true that we will have a contested election. We'll wake up on November 4th. We won't have uh, a final answer of who is going to be the next president. But as for what happened in the trading session, I mean, you just read the headlines. You know the headlines better than anyone else. And all day it was just this back and forth over that fiscal four package. And in the beginning of the day, Mnuchin did come out and say that they were going to give it one more serious try. And ever since, it seemed like that really did ignite hope for investors that maybe we actually can get a fiscal four package, that it's back on the table. But just back and forth throughout the day, some pretty wild swings. And it all ended with Mnuchin coming out and saying there's still no agreement on stimulus deal. So still waiting and seeing. Well, and there's 40,000 airline workers in America who are going to lose the $25 billion worth of stimulus that the airline companies got 
and, and, and qualified for by not having any layoffs. Well, that expires tonight at midnight. I mean, so the consequences of the, of the inaction coming from both parties in Washington, D.C. on fiscal stimulus reverberating throughout the airports of America, and that's just a microcosm of, of, of a data point. I mean, you've got 13.1 million unemployment that, that the Labor Department can even calculate. There's millions more um, that we don't even know about. By the way, fiscal stimulus, not something that came up last night. Not something that was significantly even talked about. They spent more time, Sarah, relitigating 2008 than talking about the at least, and I'm putting it as a low ball estimate, <laughs> 13.1 million Americans who are unemployed. Do you believe that? I mean, as an economist person. It was a person, bit of a shocker. Yes. It's a massive shocker. Okay, so, you know, so I, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that debate coming up. Okay, so let me ask you, though, it, it has, has Wall Street... Do they understand now, and, and, and based upon the, the, the market news today and the developments in the analysis of last night, they now seem to have baked in volatility coming not just on November 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th, but maybe even into December unpackage that for us. Right. So there is a gauge that's called the VIX, and it's basically seen as the fear gauge for the stock market. And the way that it works is that it is based off of options trading, um, but it's a measure of volatility, and it's very classically used. But you can trade VIX futures. And if you look at what futures are trading for for the VIX, what investors are paying for November contracts or December contracts, we've seen a so-called premium baked in. So what that means is that investors are paying more to buy volatility in those further out months worried about a contested election. That is really what this narrative has been, and you see it reflected in markets. And I also want to point out today that if you just look at spot VIX trading today, we actually saw the VIX, the measure of volatility, increase today alongside the stock market, the S&P finishing up about eight-tenths of a percent. That's typically not what you see. Usually when you see stocks rise, you see measures of volatility fall. But this weird, strange dynamic was something that we saw in late August and early September before we actually had that stock correction. So this does kind of sound off alarm bells when you see this dynamic moving together. It, it's, 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 yeah, alarm bells, absolutely. Where are the safe havens right now? We hear a lot about Japan, for example. Where, where are some of the safe havens as, as uh, the, the U.S. markets look to be incredibly volatile over the next uh, two to three months? What's been amazing to me is that throughout the year of 2020, what has become a safe haven has been your mm. mega cap technology shares. And yes, that was where the correction was focused, but we have seen that almost return because, as you mentioned, you think of airlines uh, now floating more layoffs. Many people are not going to be getting benefits soon as the fiscal packages do run out. Uh, and if we do not get another one approved or passed, I should say, at the same time, today you hear the likes of Disney, or last night actually announced 28,000 28, job cuts. We're also do you hearing believe that way? I see, I got to I got I separate, because it bears repeating, because we, we, we lose sight. We rattle off these right. numbers, and I'm, I, I mean, 28,000 people just in Disney alone, Disney amount. says. It's, it's massive. Go right. ahead. So you think about how many companies out there are still being affected by COVID-19, the coronavirus, uh, what that means for employees at these businesses. Well, as it turns out, many of these mega cap tech companies have been unaffected. Some of them have even benefited. You think of Amazon, which is actually hiring plenty of people to deal with demand right now. So they have remained this quasi safe haven. And we continue just to see people return to that trade time and again. Really remarkable. Tell me one thing on your radar, whether it's uh, for, for this week or for the rest. Of, tell me one thing on your radar for the rest of this week. We got like 45 seconds left. There's so much, so much to watch, but I would say um, one thing on my radar, yes, it is a backward-looking data point, but you have the payrolls report on Friday, and as we discuss these massive layoffs that are really occurring uh, from industry to industry, as I mentioned, it's backward-looking, but it's still going to give us uh, a nice understanding of what the labor market recovery looks like, has looked like, and where we now stand, if it's cooling from the summer months or if we continue to see improvement. Okay, Sarah, be honest. Did you watch the whole debate or just part of it? I did. I, I stayed up the whole time. I did not wow. tune out, as I know many people did. I, um, I, I, I almost I couldn't take my eyes away, Kevin. Good. You know what? 
better you than me because I, I I just I gotta be honest if I didn't have to do that I would have been like I can't this is brutal they're all it's talking painful, over each other had to. totally yeah I know you know it's just here we go buckle up you don't even need to know what the VIX is to know it's going to be volatile Sarah Podcheck, thank you so much Bloomberg Markets reporter my name is Kevin Cerulli I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1 Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound Off with Kevin. Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. The morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, after debate night in America. We're going to talk about the policy, plus fiscal stimulus talks. There's still hope. The market liked it today. Lots to get through. We've got an all-star panel to drive us home. We're done. We're done. We've got a great panel. And Adam Goodman's going to be with me for the hour. I always am grateful. The Adams, Adam Goodman and Adam Hodge, uh, are going to be with me for the for the hour as we as we get through last night. Adam Goodman's with me, Republican media strategist, columnist, and partner at Ballard Partners in Washington D.C. And Adam Hodge, senior vice president at Ariel Investments. Goodman, where do we begin? Where do we begin? I read your column in the Hill. Our friends over there at the Hill with Bob Cusack and and you know I. I just, I don't even, it wasn't even enjoy. I don't think you can call it a debate at all. I mean, honestly, I come from an Irish-Italian Catholic family, Adam Goodman, and <laughs> we don't even have three people talking at once. And it was, I, I'm not even trying to be funny. I mean, it was, I couldn't follow it. It was three people talking at once for 90 minutes. I, I, I genuinely had a headache, and I'm not, I'm not being funny. I, it was, it was, I, I'm speechless, Adam Goodman. Well, what was billed as must-watch television became unwatchable. Yep. It was unbelievable, right? And the comments I've gotten from a lot of people uh, in the field on both ends uh, has been that, how disturbing, unnerving, uh, uh, uncalled for that debate, or whatever you want to call it last night was, America really tuned in to try to get some answers to a lot of questions they have. Uh, and this isn't a, just a about, you know, campaigns trying to position um, ideologies, trying to, um, to, you know, to go up against each other and to provide Americans with a clear choice. It really was an opportunity for America to get the message. But what, was, what happened last night is not just the president and uh, Vice President Biden, uh, but Chris Wallace, all three of them, uh, looked completely overwhelmed by the moment. And the biggest losers of the night, no one can claim victory to last night. The biggest losers were us. Because in, a, in an essence, Kevin, what we were seeing was us on stage last night, you know, debating, uh, uh, disagreeing, chiding, uh, uh, 
abusing. It was an absolute display, I think, of what much of America has become in the now moment. Well, I'm so sick and tired. I'm so sick and tired of people saying, well, is that is it going to change anything? Is anyone going to change your mind? You know what? People tune into a debate to see even if the person who is who is uh, debating that they don't they might not even think they're going to win. I mean, you watch a debate because you want to be informed about the direction of the country. You want to learn something about the policy on the economy. Yesterday, Disney announcing 28,000 jobs going to be axed as a result of the pandemic. Today, at midnight, 40,000 40, jobs in the airline industry are at risk because that's when the benefits for uh, the funds of $25 billion that were passed in the first round of stimulus, that's when, they're, when they run out. So all those airline companies that were keeping people on the payroll to qualify for that money runs out tonight as a result of the inaction of, of the next round of stimulus. Adam Hodge, you worked at the Treasury Department and in the Obama White House. Uh, now you're senior vice president at Aerial Investments. They spent more time relitigating 2008 than talking about the 13.1 million Americans, and that's a lowball estimate according to the Labor Department, the lowball estimate uh, of Americans who are out of work in 2020 today. No, that's that's exactly right. It was frustrating, I think, for, for all of us. I know um, I definitely needed a, a shower after the the debate last night. And I felt like reading some of the headlines this morning. I felt like I needed to take take a third shower. It was just just brutal. Uh, and I think nobody was was well served by the, the format. And somewhat encouraged to see some news this afternoon that they're trying to alter the formatting a little bit to make it. Uh, more palatable for the American people. I, I think the bottom line that Trump had a, a bigger uh, uh, had a bigger need to have a great night or to convey some element of um, command, and because the polls uh, obviously are um, really tough for him right now, and nothing that happened last night uh, and his approach to the to the debate. Nothing fundamentally altered the landscape of the race. And so uh, we have, I think, close to two more weeks before the next debate. And so it's hard to see another moment um, where Trump's going to have a stage to, 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 to change things. And certainly after the audience. Uh, after people tuned out last night, I, I'm sure the numbers are going to are going to dwindle significantly between now and the next debate. I mean, I, I just I don't know why you would even want to. I don't even know where do we go from here, Adam Goodman. Uh, spin it forward for us, because you've got. Uh, where do we go from here? Steve Scully of C-SPAN on uh, the fifteenth of October going to be moderating the debate in Miami. It's a town hall style format, reportedly. The the commission on on U.S. debates they're considering I guess having a button where the moderator could could shut off the mic I guess if they go over time where do we go from here where where do we go from here well well hopefully this to a better place than where we were last night I don't disagree with the other Adam by the way having two Adams on the show is great because I can just say well for that me. must have been the other, that must have been the other Adam that said it right I always had that <laughs> deniability um, but. There were some things that, that you know, on a more serious note, there were, there were some things that kind of came out last night, and I know the press is hepped up about. We're going to talk uh, about that in the next segment, but we only have. I want to okay. first just. I want to keep a focus on where we're going forward because I think we're going to dive into the policy. I promise, and I want to get there throughout the, the hour. But tell me where we go from here. Americans are still starving for information. It's the same yeah. way they they felt going into last night. They want information, and and. I was, I'm not a, you know, obviously I've been doing this for a long time and I've been involved in a lot of campaigns and a lot of polling. Uh, polling has become much more difficult these days. And when I see a poll or any poll suggesting where the race is, I take that with a grain of salt. This is a different kind of environment. We live in a cancer, cancer, cancel culture environment. And because of that, you saw, you can see a lot of the polls, the refuse to answer number has gone up to 6 7 8% in some of these polls. I don't believe any of them. I do believe that Americans are looking for something they haven't yet found. That's what they're looking for. And I still think, I know this sounds crazy, but with five-plus weeks to go, there's a lot of time left on the clock in a race that just a week ago didn't have a Supreme Court opening uh, to deal with. Things are moving. Things are changing fast. And I think uh, whatever is going to happen next, Kevin and my other Adam, um, is something we can hardly predict. I love that we're now referring to it as my other Adam. 
This is hilarious. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, well, coming up, we're going to talk all about that. I'm going to play for you some of my reporting with uh, uh, Congressman Jim Jordan. And as well, uh, we're going to check in with Congressman Andy Barr and, and Marsha Blackburn at the top of the hour. And uh, we heard from the, the chairman of the, the Ohio Democratic Party. Uh, it, and it's just remarkable. It's like we're all living in virtual, virtual different realities in terms of the, our news feeds, our social feeds and the like. But I just go back to this one point. I don't care if you think President Trump doesn't have a shot. I don't care if you think that Joe Biden doesn't have a shot. It's not the only reason you tune into a debate. You tune into a debate because you're a citizen of the country and you have a right to figure out the direction of the country. If that's the direction, our country, three people talking all over, I mean, you, it's impossible to learn in this economic calamity that we're all in that's limited all of our choices that we can't figure out where we're even going from a rebound, but we're going to relitigate 2008. I, I don't believe it. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Well, we're going to deliver it right away. We have the military all set up logistically. They're all set up. We have our military that delivers soldiers and they can do 200,000 a day. They're going to be this delivering. This is the same us. man it's who all told set you up. by Easter this had be gone away. By the warm weather it would be gone. Miraculous. Like a miracle. And by the way, maybe you could inject some bleach in your arm and that would take care of it. This is the that same man. That was said sarcastically. That was, you know that. I, that I, was I, said sarcastically. And so here's the deal. This man is talking about a vaccine. Every serious, every serious company is talking about maybe having a vaccine done by the end of the year. But the distribution of that vaccine will not occur until sometime beginning or the middle of next year to get it out. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. There they were. I was <laughs> in Cleveland talking about uh, the vaccines. You know, bottom line, I still think that we're going to, based on all the experts, that there's going to be one within the next 9 to 12 months. All right, I've got the Adams with me for the hour. And coming up, we're going to check in with Congressman Andy, not Adam, Andy Barr. Adam Hodge, he's a senior vice president at Ariel Investments. And, of course, he worked in the Obama Treasury Department. Hey, Adam, who's going to be a Biden Treasury Secretary? Ooh, that is a, a good question. I think... It, Caught you off guard there, no, didn't I? Didn't I, Hodge? A little bit. That was good. <laughs> I, think, I think it'll be... Uh, certainly it will be a, a woman or a person of color. I feel pretty strongly about that. I think Lil Brainerd has certainly been the, the name that has been mentioned. Lil Brainerd, yeah. Um, m- most often, I, you know, she... Uh, was a phenomenal um, uh, when she worked for with, with Jack Lew when I, when I was there at the U.S. Treasury, and so I think uh, and her time at the Fed has has been um, certainly interesting. She's been making a lot of uh, news recently on on how the economy should work better for um, for black and brown folks, and that's not something that has typically been at the the front and center of the, the Fed's mandate. But I think looking at where the economy will be. Uh, if Biden is, is president, I think that that puts her in, in good stead. Uh, you know, certainly um, you're going to hear a lot of people talk about Roger Ferguson uh, at TIA, Kreft, um, someone who has, uh, you know, um, been at at the Fed and has a lot of experience. And so, um, I think um, the bottom line is Biden is spoiled for for choice and, and poised to make history with his pick. And no. I think uh, it's, it's an exciting moment. 
you know you mentioned race and especially about how the central bank is is having to uh uh to to grapple with uh, uh the the moment that we're in uh, the overdue moment that we're in. Adam Gibbons also with us. He's a Republican media strategist and a partner at Ballard Partners in Washington. Adam Goodman, you know, one of the moments that Republicans, every Republican was asked about today, including the White House, uh, was about that white supremacist moment. And I, and I want to play it because I, 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 you know, here it is. Here's the, uh, the white supremacist moment from last night. Here it is. Almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right so wing. So what are you, what are you, you what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call him? What do you want to call him? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacist and right boys. White supremacist and right boys. Stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left. Adam Gibbon. There it was. Are you you there? want my comment? Yes. What? Would you like my comment? Yeah. Well, let's say you have highs and lows in a debate. That wasn't one of the president's highs, to say the least. I mean, it was it was a straight question, and it deserved a straight answer. It had a, a second part of the question, though, uh, that was suggested by the president that was never posed, which also has to be. Does he need to, I have answer. to jump in. Does he have to? Does he have to clarify that? I mean, he has to clarify. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And is, Tim Scott, is, and Tim Scott today, Senator Tim Scott, a Republican from South Carolina, who who gave one of the best speeches at the Republican National Convention. He was asked about this. He's the only African American Republican senator in the Senate, and he was asked about this moment on Capitol Hill, uh, and 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 he said. Uh, essentially, uh, I want to I want to read it precisely. "Quote: I think he misspoke in response to Chris Wallace's comment. He was asking Chris what he wanted him to say. I think he misspoke. I think he should correct it. If he doesn't correct it, I guess he didn't misspeak." End quote. I mean, Adam Goodman, Senator Tim Scott is saying, "Correct this, Mr. President." I think the whole party would like to see the president correct yeah. that, and the yeah. whole party also. Would like to see this president uh, the next time he has it's on a stage like this to really bring it in terms of what he believes and what it what's in it, uh, Kevin. This is what was really what was really missing last night. What's in it for us? Okay, so we get it. You don't like each other. You're coming from different places. Uh, you get you've shown you can both be pugilistic. Now, what is in it for us? And that was completely absent from the discussion last night. The president, frankly. Uh, Kevin has a lot he can talk about that I think it's fair to say has been somewhat underplayed or at times ignored by the mainstream media. A lot of things he's got to get out there informationally so people have more knowledge about what the three and a half, nearly four years have been about than they have today. That didn't happen last night. And one of the questions I was going to get into was before you you, went, you drove yep. appropriately for the Scott comment was Antifa. This is a this is first of all this is a, a a term that was unknown to America just a couple months ago. Well, it's very known now uh, because at the heart of Antifa, the flag they they, they carry high and, and proudly uh, shows their support for communism and anarchy, and they are at the heart of a lot of the violence that happened has been happening certainly in Portland, probably in some of the other major cities. That has to be asked and answered of the vice president who is trying to straddle the line. You saw, you saw the most difficult moment, and then I'll step back here, the most difficult moment the vice president maybe had last night, uh, which was overwhelmed by all the cacophony, uh, was when he was uh, put on the, the spot to talk about law and order. Just like I think mm, it's fair to yeah. say that President Obama had a lot of places where he was comfortable, Kevin. One place he was not was pushing the button in terms of projecting military strength overseas. I think the same thing is in play for Joe Biden when it comes to law and order. He is freaked out a little bit for about saying the wrong thing and violating part of his base. And that needs to be examined more thoroughly moving forward. You know, and you know what, though, no matter what you're there's no way to look at the moment we just played and to think that the president didn't fumble and cloud that entire messaging that you just point out because you couldn't clearly articulate denouncing a white supremacist group. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg 99.1.
You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. All right, we're going to talk more about the debate, I promise. Not that I think anyone... I think we all want to forget about that debate. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I, I want to talk U.S.-China relations. Something that also didn't come up much last night uh, that I thought we were going to get some more geopolicy news on. Uh, but we've got Congressman Andy Barr on the line. He's a Republican from Kentucky, 6th Congressional District. All right, I, I, I want to get the debate out of the way first. What'd you think of the debate? You got, I mean, I don't know how anyone could. What'd you think of the debate, Congressman? Brutal. Well, I don't think uh, either of the candidates uh, changed any minds. I, I think, uh, you know, uh, clearly uh, this was the kind of debate that the American people probably cringed a few times, but uh, the president was strong and obviously uh, uh, was uh, very eager, I would say, to get his points across and, and refute. Uh, some of the narrative from uh, from uh, Vice President Biden, uh, but in any event, I don't think uh, it changed many minds. Uh, but to your point, um, there's some major issues that were not addressed in last night's debate, and I think the next debate is going to be mo- more focused on national security and foreign policy. And this issue about the threats from the Chinese Communist Party needs to be part of the discussion, and it's related to uh, the coronavirus and. COVID, and I applaud President Trump and his administration for, for actually uh, taking the, the threat from China seriously. It doesn't, it doesn't seem that um, Vice President Biden uh, is doing the same. Okay, so let's, let's unpack now where things stand, because there is, you're a part of a working group, a Republican House working group, that, that submitted a report to Leader McCarthy uh, earlier today. Tell us about how this group came about and then we'll dive into the policy of it. But but because there's also another bipartisan working group, but this is a separate this is a Republican contingency of, of, of what Republicans in the House think that the that the, the policy toward China ought to be. Well, just to be clear, this was uh, Leader McCarthy approached uh, Speaker Pelosi last year uh, before the virus, before the origins of the pandemic in Wuhan and said, you know, we need to prepare the United States in a bipartisan way prepared the United States for the multi-decade strategic competition that we will be facing from the People's Republic of China. And initially, the speaker agreed. And uh, unfortunately, after impeachment and after the the virus outbreak, uh, the speaker backed away. And it's regrettable because this needs to be a bipartisan issue. We viewed it as a bipartisan issue. And the recommendations, over 400 policy recommendations included in our report, included over two-thirds of those recommendations were bipartisan in nature. Some of them were Democrat bills, but nevertheless, we recognize uh, our very uh, useful ideas in countering Chinese aggression. So, okay, so so when is the, do you think that this is, procedurally speaking, because then we're going to dive into the report, but procedurally speaking, uh, this is the one area where I actually think there's a lot of agreement on between Republicans and Democrats. Do you think, that the what has the response been from some of these ideas, not necessarily from the report, but on some of these ideas that we're going to talk about? Is there is are many of these nonpartisan? Yes, yes, and I'll give you a couple of examples. So I co-chaired the economics and energy subgroup, and look, obviously we're focused on the origins of the pandemic, uh, the the Chinese Communist Party's cover up and misinformation, disinformation campaign that allowed and enabled the virus to spread. We're looking at the CCP's human rights violations, their expansionist aggression, their buildup of their military, uh, their cyber attacks, uh, the, uh, the, the theft of intellectual property. But we're also looking at their economic warfare. And so to that end, when we look at Chinese companies that are listed on U.S. exchanges, uh, we think we, that we need to protect American investors, uh, investors that deploy their capital on those exchanges to make sure that there's a level playing field in terms of the rules. So if you're a U.S. company and you are a public company and you, you, you uh, subject yourself uh, to the, the accounting rules of the United States, uh, you, your auditors uh, have to open up the books to the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. Well, that's not the case if you're a Chinese party, a state-owned inter- Chinese party-supported company, uh, a state-owned enterprise uh, that's part of the civil-military fusion in, in China – they are not subject to the same accounting oversight. And so it's a matter of investor protection as much as it, as it is denying 
uh, capital to Chinese companies that are supporting the People's Liberation Army or the Chinese military. So it's a it's a major national security issue, and I would I would note that 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 bill passed the Senate in a bipartisan way. It was Senator Kennedy's bill, a Republican from Louisiana. But in the House, in the House Financial Services Committee, the committee on which I serve, it's a it's a bill, a bipartisan bill led by a Democrat from California, Brad Sherman. We think that's a very sensible idea, and it's a bipartisan idea that needs to pass the Congress immediately. Um, and then sanctions is another area. We passed the toughest economic sanctions ever directed at North Korea that, were, that targeted as secondary sanctions and, and imposed secondary sanctions on Chinese banks that facilitate the illicit finance yep. of North Korea. Well, yeah, again, right. a, a bipartisan effort. Yeah, exactly. And so, so Congressman Andy Barr is on the line, uh, and, and they just—he's part of a working group of House Republicans that released a really detailed. It's like 140 pages uh, of, of policy proposals, of analysis on the Communist Party of China, and and really just uh, some some really nuanced ways. And it really dives into the weeds. And I I I say this—it really is the the blueprint or the playbook, call it what you want, for at least Republican. Uh, ideology in terms of policy and where it's moving. I'm very fascinated to see if we're going to get a similar document from Democrats um, because, you know, like I said, it's it's so hard to find outlets and forums mm-hmm. nowadays where you can actually try to, you know, figure out where policy is moving toward. I guess we can't trust. I'm going to I'm going to bring it up, Congressman. I guess we can't even trust sure. the presidential I mean, debate. Yeah. I mean, I think, <laughs> look, we're in a politically charged time it is disappointing to see uh, Speaker Pelosi not step up to the plate and offer uh, bipartisan support for countering Chinese aggression, for getting to the bottom of the origins of the pandemic and the role that the Chinese Communist Party had in, the, in enabling the spread of this disease that's killed over 2 million it. human beings and destroyed the global economy in many respects. Um, this should be a bipartisan effort. The, 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 the vice president, former Vice President Biden, also wants to misdirect away from this issue. But I applaud any legislator or uh, certainly President Trump for focusing attention on this. It has everything to do with, with the virus. And when you think about how we, we should respond to this, we have to consider what the Chinese Communist Party did after the virus began to spread and became a global pandemic. Congressman, can, they, I, can they, I jump in here and ask you specifically— can I? Well, that's what sure. I was. That's exactly where I was hoping because we only I only have you for two more minutes, so I wanted to get this in uh, on the supply chain and on funding for technologies of the future. Because you could, I'm not blaming either party here, but it, it, one could really make the case that America lost out on 5G. Okay, so what are we going to do about 6G and making sure that Western allies and whatnot of future technologies and technologies that we haven't even thought of on on artificial intelligence is protected and not uh, you know taken advantage of by by the, by the uh, Communist Party. Right. We have many recommendations on technology, a, a, an entire subgroup on artificial intelligence, quantum commuting, yeah. computing, uh, semiconductors. Uh, but with respect to all of the supply chain, whether it's technology, 5G, telecommunications, or medical supplies and pharmaceuticals, we clearly need uh, to build resiliency and onshore a lot of these technologies and prevent the theft of uh, U.S. technology by by the Chinese, and so uh, uh, and they steal it in different ways. It's it's not just through cyber attacks. It's also uh, through academic espionage on our campuses. We we want to stand up uh, more FBI agents to collaborate with U.S. Uh, research institutions to pre- um, the theft of, of of our intellectual property on college campuses. And and you've seen arrests by the FBI of Chinese nationals. Uh, trying to steal our critical research, even our uh, COVID uh, vaccine research, uh, arrested Ohio State and, and uh, University of Florida and Emory and University of Arkansas. So uh, the Chinese are trying to steal our research, our technology uh, in many different ways. And uh, because of the pandemic, I think the United States has okay. awoken to the real threat yeah. that the Chinese Communist Party poses okay. to not just the United States, but the entire free world. Congressman Andy Barr, thank you so much, sir, for your time. He's a Republican from Kentucky. Uh, on a busy day for him, they released that 140-page report on uh, very detailed policy-oriented proposals. I'm Kevin Cirilli. More next. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. 
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cerulli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Adam Hodge is with me, as well as Adam Goodman. Adam is a Adam. <laughs> Got to say which one? Adam Hodge is a senior vice president at Ariel Investments. Adam Goodman is a Republican media strategist, columnist, and partner at Ballard Partners in Washington D.C. Goodman's down in Florida, and I cannot. I wish I was in Florida. I wish I was on a beach. Goodman, where, where in Florida? <laughs> See, that just shows you, as much as you know where everything, everybody is and everything that's happening, I'm actually off the main coast right now, um, hiding out, doing my columns and my Are work you kidding me? in the tranquility of the main coastline. So this shows you how incredible America is in giving us those kinds of opportunities to take in the rest of the news. I am even more jealous of Adam Goodman. <laughs> no. <laughs> I would give anything to be on a beach. <laughs> okay, Adam Hodge, <laughs> are you on a beach? That makes, that makes three of us. I, I wish. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah I got to plot my escape again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> again. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm still plotting mine. Adam Hodge, uh, I wanted to uh, go back to what we were talking about earlier in the show before I got drowned out by the clock, as they say in the biz. Uh, about that. About the moment of of of. Talking about white supremacy that came up today, and 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 you know, I I wanted to to hear your your uh, your analysis. Yeah, well, I think it was obviously, as as Adam rightly said, it was a, a brutal moment for him, um, but it was particularly brutal because because it reinforced the negative views that I think a lot of people already had about Trump's character, and I it reminded me oddly enough of. Um, when I was on the Obama campaign in 2012, when Mitt Romney had the 47% tape, which everyone um, probably can remember, um, and it, it did reinforce for for a lot of voters this perception that Romney was, you know, a rich elite person who didn't, uh, you know, couldn't understand the, the the struggles of real Americans. The moment last night, um, it really did re- similarly reinforce the negative views um, that I think people have about Trump and, and his character. And particularly for, for African-American voters who, who see this election as really a, a life-or-death moment. And so going forward, I think you're going to see um, the, the Biden campaign um, try to bring make this front and center because it does speak to not only President Trump's character, you would think disavowing white supremacists would be hard, um, so it should be easy. But you know, this is the same person who in 2016, when he was asked about the support for David Duke, pretended that he didn't know who David Duke was. And so um, it, uh, it obviously stood out, and I think rightly so. All right. What's, it's time now for What's on Your Radar. Adam Goodman, what's on your radar? Gosh, I, my radar is completely broken after last night. I mean, I went, I was looking for my radar <laughs> into the wee hours of the morning. <laughs> that's going to my, that's gonna go my in my journal. That's going to go in my journal. Adam Goodman's radar was completely broken last night. What's the radar? It's broken. It's broken. I don't have a compass and I don't have a radar. Go ahead, Goodman. See, see, Kevin, that gives me all. Oh, is he? Go ahead. You broke up. Are you there? Talk to me. Okay. So here's, here's, here's what I think I'm really looking forward to. Uh, And I hate to say it because I think after last night, you don't want to hear the word again. 
It's the next debate, but the next debate is the <laughs> vice presidential debate. And this is, this is a particularly significant one because um, with 55% of Americans going into last night believing there is some issue with the mental acuity with the vice president, his choice of running mate suddenly becomes that much more significant. And in a way, Kamala Harris uh, in this debate, in her one debate against Mike Pence, who I think is going to actually do very well uh, and maybe show this stability and, and sturdiness that, that the president maybe didn't do a great job of conveying last night. She's going to be going through an audition for president. I think a lot of people are going to take a look at Kamala Harris and say, God forbid, if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are elected and Joe Biden doesn't make it the whole way, is Kamala Harris ready to take the reins of power from day one? That is a, a heavier burden on a vice presidential debate than anything I think I can remember in my lifetime. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, and I think people are going to I actually also think there could be I, I, I want to live in a world where people watch that debate and say, wow, that's how a debate should go. <laughs> that's how look they answer questions they they get a little you know cheeky jabs in but it's nothing you know we can understand them you know i miss the, i miss those days i guess i'm an old soul <laughs> i guess i'm an old soul but it's all over uh adam hodge what's on your radar buddy so this is a, a classic of uh, knowing your audience uh i'm actually looking forward to the job support uh yes. that, that comes out next uh, i think um it will be uh um, a real indication of just how um, the, the economy uh, and, and the, the job uh, picture, um, if it's continued to, to soften, as I think um, some of the research suggests. And, it, you know, does that give Biden another piece of ammo to take into the last couple of weeks of the campaign? Uh, and the, we, we won't get that last job report, I don't think, before vote, everybody votes on November 3rd. So that's the thing that's on my uh, radar. Uh, I got to admit, it probably was a, last night after uh, the end of the debate and a couple uh, whiskeys. It probably got a little <laughs> little uh, hazy, um, but uh, it's you know back enough. That's what it's, it's picking up, the job you know, report. It's, it's so surreal. I, 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 you, you try to, and I think the business community is really just trying to make sense of what's just it, regardless of the outcome just what's going to happen and i think if there's you know my big takeaways as i've reported on all day i think the big takeaway is that we're not going to have a result november 3rd it could last a couple of weeks it might even last into december it makes the supreme court pick all the more important but behind the the, the bigger economic story and in fact the democratic source of mine on the on the on biden's uh, campaign you know was that was asking well why were the markets so so up today, it, 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 it wasn't because of the debate. It's because everyone is trading off of that or not everyone, but a huge a huge shift in the market is, is occurring because of the the fiscal stimulus talks and lack thereof. And that's what's on my radar. The fiscal stimulus talks because it has real consequences, real consequences to families, much more than what people tweet, what people, you know, Instagram, all the likes. It's it's the policy in Washington, D.C. And we got none of that. None of it last night. I don't think I'm being opinionated. No policy last night. You couldn't understand it even when they did it. They spent more time relitigating 2008 than they did about the economic calamity at hand. It's it's disheartening is, is a word for it. My colleagues Eric Wasson and Billy House reporting on the Bloomberg terminal, quote, House leaders postponed a vote on a Democrat-only stimulus bill to give uh, Secretary Mnuchin and Speaker Pelosi one more day to negotiate a compromise on the fiscal relief package that headline just crossing the bloomberg terminal within the last half hour so secretary mnuchin and speaker pelosi they're going to give it one more day one more day before the house democrats uh, vote on their 2.2 trillion dollar package uh, for the relief bill we should note just uh, all of the millions of americans who are about to run out of of some benefits tonight the companies that are going to run out of their benefits they accepted the aid accepted the cash couple months ago with the notion that they weren't going to lay anybody off that 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 deadline's over tonight these are the times we live in my thanks to adam goodman my thanks to adam hodge gents i wish it was a better day you know what i mean i wish it was a better political day but it's still a beautiful day goodman give me some give me some positivity on the way out we i got like 30 seconds so make it quick okay i know you're on the coast but uh give me some good give me some good some good energy uh, I can tell you that the 
the soul of America is strong. And when you, you, you talk to the people in Maine... I was hoping you were telling me... I, we're up against the clock. I thought you were going to tell me the Eagles so, were going to beat the Niners. Come on, Goodman. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.